0: Hello, Hawks fans, and welcome to another episode of the KettleCast with your host Forrest Willoughby. On this episode of the cast, I have a great, wide-ranging conversation with Ben Latner, where we discuss the Hawks' postseason run last year, what they've done this offseason, and what his expectations are for the Hawks going forward. We also talk about a project he contributed to, the Step Back's top 25 players under the age of 25. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hey Ben, welcome to the Kettlecast. You've been on a few times now, great guest, and I was just hoping to have you on to talk about the Hawks getting ready to go into the 21-22 season and go through their run last year in the playoffs that was kind of unexpected, what they've been able to do this off-season, and what your expectations are for them this season. And then also you were part of an awesome coverage from the step back about the top 25 players under 25, and I thought we could talk a little bit about that. There's actually four Hawks that made that list, which is pretty awesome. To start off, what did you think about the Hawks' run in the postseason, especially getting past the 76ers and just how far they went? Does that raise your expectations? Was it just a blip where they caught opponents at at the right time and and were a little ahead of schedule, but what were your thoughts on the run and
1: It was kind of all the things you said, you know, it it was, there was a little bit of certainly unexpectedness and and probably I don't want to use the word flukiness, but I think if you ran the simulation a hundred times, like that doesn't happen, you know, every time the the conference finals run, I think it is true that they caught the Sixers uh, with their best player hobbled by a a knee injury. I think it's true that like they probably got some, some bad luck from the, the Knicks in the first round with Randall playing as poorly as he did. Uh, I think it's also true that the Hawks were dealing with their own injuries and that they still outplayed those teams within the circumstances that that were there. Like they they were the better team, I think, in each of those series. And again, it is important to remember that, like every other team seemingly in the NBA, they were dealing with injuries of their own to key players, including DeAndre Hunter, um, who missed the entire Philly series. So I think it certainly was unexpected. And I think in a way it kind of vindicated the offseason that they had in twenty twenty where you bring in Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Capella, who was a, a trade deadline acquisition the year before, but was functionally an off-season acquisition. And then those guys come in and immediately give you great seasons. They propel you to this conference finals run. Uh, Trey Young looks like a guy who's ready to lead a, a high-level offense and high-level team deep in the playoffs. You get guys like Herter who step up and you know in, in big minutes, Collins who play big roles in the playoffs. So I think it's it sort of – Provided proof of concept for the vision of this roster, you know the the idea of what Travis Schlank and the front office were trying to build. It sort of came to fruition, and if not fully came to fruition, you at least saw glimpses of it enough where you could say, okay, you know, this is this is a worthwhile investment. This is a team worth going all in on right now because they are really good, and I think next season they'll only continue to get better given the ages of a lot of the guys in their rotation. Gallinari kind of seems to be the only guy maybe Capella who would take a a real step back in any way next year unless you just get a a down year from one of the young guys which can't happen but I think given the season they had last year where they are age-wise where they are with the contract some of these guys uh, I think I think they're well within their rights to believe that they should be pushing for a championship this season would I peg them as the favorite no probably not even the, the second or third favorite in the Eastern Conference but I think they're knocking on the door. I think they're in the conversation. And if you can put yourself in the fringes of the conversation, as we saw last year, things can happen in the playoffs that lead to unforeseen results. And I think the Hawks probably are hoping to be the beneficiary of that again this year.
0: Yeah, it was a good run having it be you know Trey and John Collins' first time being in the playoffs. The big thing going into that run was just um, especially with the trade of Luka Doncic and Trey was that Luka had made it to the playoffs and Trey had been on this team that had not really competed, not just missed the playoffs, but they were part of the delete eight that didn't even make the bubble. They had this long off season. And to your point, they had this offseason that a lot of people were like, why are you giving $20 million to Danilo Gallinari to come off the bench? The Kings, for whatever reason, did not feel that Bogdanovich was worth matching, but it was a lot of money to spend. And, the playoff run certainly validated that those were moves that made a difference. I thought one thing that the Hawks did in that run that was really impressive to me was they won all of the game ones away. There's been some talk during this offseason just about the confidence that Trey instills in the team, and he's kind of become the leader. His like being unafraid to go into New York, get a win, to go into Philadelphia, get a win, and then they won a game seven on the road with Kevin a herder kind of going off and, and being able to really stick it to Seth Curry and then going in Trey puts up 48 points against the Bucks, the eventual champions, Trey kind of skip ahead to the 25 under 25. Are those leadership qualities, things that like were, we hadn't really seen and you can't really see until he gets to the playoffs and add to possibly what his value is, or is that just like his one? We need to see this again and again to really validate that. It's an interesting question. I,
1: I think it is one of those things in a way that you can't only see until the playoffs. You know, you can't really see how a guy responds in the playoff crucible until he's in it. And I think I think Trey and, and the rest of the Hawks acquitted themselves very well. I, I think any, any concerns, I think there were fair concerns about you know how is Trey going to hold up in the playoffs. He's small, he relies on foul drawing. He does all this stuff in the regular season. maybe it won't translate. I think there were fair questions about that. I, th- I also think he answered a lot of those questions and there's not a lot of concern in my mind. If I'm a Hawks fan about, okay, is he going to hold up? Is he going to be able to maintain what he does in the regular season? I think clearly he, he can. And that's the case for most of the best players in the league. Like all the guys who rely on the tricks and the, the cleverness and everything. It's because they're such smart, skilled players that it, it has to do with their, their intelligence rather than that specific manifestation of the intelligence, you know, and so for guys like Trey, he's just really good. If he can't succeed in this one way, he's going to figure out another way to succeed. And I think we saw that in the playoffs with the pull-up shooting, the ability to get in the lane, the passing was as, as crisp as ever. Turnovers, I guess, were a little bit of a problem. You maybe expect that with a guy playing in his first playoffs with defenses more, more tightly honed in on him. But I think aside from that, there were games where turnovers were an issue. But other than that, I, the way he played overall in the playoffs and the, and the way guys seemed to kind of coalesce around him. Maybe there was this this element of oh you know Trey's giving us confidence and now we feel like we can play better because he's playing well, but I I think just from a structural standpoint, having a guy who can do all of the things Trey can do, it allows a Bogdanovich, a Herder, a Collins to just kind of fall into a role, and not have to play outside of themselves, not have to press too much, not have to do anything beyond their capabilities. And in in the playoffs, when you can when you can have three guys, let's say Herder, Bogdanovich, and Collins are the, the you sort of your three secondary weapons on offense. It's unlikely that a team is going to have enough defense to cover all of those bases, you know? So one of those guys and in the Philly series, it ended up being herder is going to have a matchup advantage that you can attack. And that's partly because Trey does so much at the point of attack. He does so much with the ball in his hands, setting up easy shots, drawing defensive attention that now he's soaking up so much of that difficult responsibility that someone is going to be overqualified for their job or for their matchup in that series. Um, And I think that's probably the biggest benefit from a, I guess a quote unquote leadership standpoint.
0: It kind of brings me to the off season where the Hawks kind of ahead of schedule, they make it to this Eastern conference finals. And previously to this, there had always been a lot of turnover for the Hawks roster, whether it was bringing in the right veterans, Travis Schlenk kind of working the, the trades and getting older guys in and out and trying to find the guy, right guys to be around this young core. This offseason, Trey Young got a max extension. John Collins, they were able to extend for five more years. And even Clint Capella, they extended two more years, which was kind of a surprise. And they didn't do a lot changing guys over. In fact, they have nine of their top 10 guys who five minutes played last season, whereas in the past, that has just not been the case. And also keeping Nate McMillan, who obviously started became the head coach in the middle of the season. He got to bring in his own staff and it has a full, maybe not a full offseason, but at, and in the time we're in as full of an offseason as you can get. What are your thoughts on just the continuity? And and they did have some additions if you want to talk about Delon Wright or their two draft picks and um Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper. What do you think about the continuity? What do you think about their offseason? I think every every move they made this off season
1: was was a, a positive one, you know, and I think the, the biggest thing they did was they just kind of solidified the roster The last season was really their acquisition mode, you know, they brought in Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Capella, you know, they, they had all these new faces and this season was about, okay, let's find the specific weak spots on this roster and maybe shore those up backup point guard comes to mind with Delon Wright being an upgrade probably even over Lou Williams and certainly over Rajon Rondo before he got traded last year, backup center, you know, especially with Okongwu out for the beginning of the season, bringing in a Gorgie Jang on that deal. I thought that was one of the better signings of the offseason in the entire league, just because you get a guy like that effectively, you know, $4 million a year, a guy who can give you capable backup center play on both ends of the floor, protecting the rim, spacing the floor, things like that. Just another like solid, Guy that you don't have to worry about. I think that was that was part of the issue a, a few a couple of years ago when I covered the team. Where there were just so many spots on the roster where it's like, what are we even getting out of this guy tonight? It's possible that Jabari Parker could have a good game, but is it likely? You know, probably not. And so you just there are so many question marks, and and you didn't know what you were getting. You didn't know what kind of production you were going to get out of a, a certain spot on the roster on any given night. I think this year there are just much fewer unknowns. There's just a lot of spots. You don't have to worry about Clint Capella. You don't have to worry about DeLon Wright being steady. You don't have, to, you, you can trust those guys in a way that you couldn't, I think with some of the bench players on the team in previous years. So I, I liked what they did in the off season, the Trey extension, obviously kind of a no brainer, the timing of when they offered that extension sort of indicated that the, the Capella deal, it could end up being closer to, negative value than than maybe some people think i i tend to think it's a good deal 23 million 23.7 a year for the next couple years i think that's fine value if he plays the way he did last year i think that's commensurate with with kind of what he is Uh, collins i think is really good and i think he's going to get better so i was in favor of that deal as well um and then they brought back lou williams you know they they kind of made some moves on the margins and and i think the other thing too is is so I can't remember who made this point, but I was I was reading kind of a, a off season review of the Hawks earlier this summer. And one of the points was that the other thing is they, they're bringing in these two rookies, Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson. And the Hawks are one of the few teams that they could they could, you know, take a swing on a Jalen Johnson at 20, you know, because they have they have a competent veteran team, you know, ready to go. But a lot of those guys are also young, and so they sort of have this veteran team and the young core at the same time. And so that allows you to take a risk on someone like Johnson and bring him into an environment where he may not play a lot, but there's going to be competence, there's going to be structure, there's going to be some opportunity, and you're going to have the ability to give him as long or short of a leash as is necessary, rather than not having any room for him or having to play him too many minutes and now he's damaging the team. You can sort of play that a little bit more carefully than you might in other situations because of just how meticulously the rest of the roster has been built out. So I think this is the deepest team in the Eastern conference, maybe in the entire NBA. I just, I think they can give you 48 minutes of good play pretty much all five positions. Maybe there are a few minutes like backup two guard or something or backup three. If Reddish isn't ready to, to play those kinds of minutes, like you worry about that a little bit. But there's enough depth on the wing, at least offensively, that I don't think they're ever going to be sunk. Like I don't think there's a lineup combination on this team that you look at and say, "Well, those guys like you're just going to lose the minutes they play by a ton, no question." You know, and that's certainly a far cry from where this team was even one year ago when they had some backup units that weren't amazing, and certainly two and three years ago when any time Trey Young wasn't on the floor,
0: they just kind of went off a cliff you brought some very good points of just Gorgie Ding being a backup there, having a Kongu be out and and having Ding. And the depth point is a very good one. And do you have any worries at all? There's been some discussion of maybe there's too much depth. And the Hawks certainly benefited last year by having depth because they could not stay healthy, just like a lot of these teams in that condensed schedule. But that depth is such a strength for them. I think you're right. And some of these guys, even Jalen Johnson, like you brought up, He's going to have to earn his minutes, and I think it's going to, you know, if he doesn't play defense the right way, I don't Nate McMillan is not known for playing rookies, and he's not going to have any patience for that. And so it will be fun watching when Jalen gets in. I almost think Sharif Cooper has a little bit of an easier road in that backup guard minutes because he doesn't have to worry about defense not as much as Jalen Johnson will be. He's not at a premium defensive position yeah. or something like that. Is there any worry for you with with the depth that there's not enough minutes to go around at all?
1: I don't think so. Maybe you could argue that not having a clear path for Johnson to play, you'd want to play him more minutes than he'll probably be able to get. I could see that argument. They also have a, a G League team like 30 minutes from State Farm Arena, so if they need to go that route, they can. In general, it's never a bad thing to have too much depth. There are some teams, you know, every year you have a couple teams where it's like, The depth kind of is the identity. I don't think you want to be that kind of team because that generally means you don't have any good players at the top of your roster. This team has an offensive superstar. It has a fringe defensive player of the year candidate, at least last year. And it's got several, you know, I would say high-end starting caliber players in Collins and and Bogdanovich and potentially Hunter if he's healthy and if he looks the way he did last year. So I, I wouldn't say that there's like... They have the high-end talent, they have the top-end talent, and they round that out. They supplement that with depth rather than the fact that they can go 11 deep being the whole foundation of their team in much the same way that they're living in in both worlds as far as short-term and long-term timelines. They're also kind of they're getting the best of both worlds with their depth and top-end talent. They kind of have both. Um, and I think that's a credit to the way Schlenk has built the roster out where he's able to both be on two timelines and have two different distinct strengths of this. He's sort of playing both the top end talent and depth game. Now the counter to that would be that the Hawks top end talent isn't nearly as good as the bucks or the nets, or even the Sixers in the Eastern conference. Well, the Sixers might be a little closer, but the Lakers, you know, if, if it came to that in a final series. So their top end talent compared to some of these other contenders in the league does not stack up and that's where i think the depth does come into play and then you could get into well is it more valuable to have three superstars or to have 11 capable guys i would lean probably the former but i think at least in the regular season this is a team that's always going to be able to keep a straw that stirs the drink for lack of a better term on the floor and still be able to surround that player with capable players who can who can give you something on at least one end of the floor and in many cases two ends of the floor
0: Thank you for catching this episode of the KettleCast. You can catch part two of my conversation with Ben Ladner, where we talk about the top 25 players under the age of 25, Ben's expectations for the Hawks in this 21-22 season, and also what he expects in the NBA in general for the next season. But you can catch that on the next episode of the KettleCast, and go Hawks!